Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, through your scriptures read and heard this day, speak your word of truth to us. Comfort us, challenge us, guide us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Today's first reading comes from the Old Testament, 1 Samuel, chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Listen now for God's word to you and to me. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were not widespread. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his room. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called, Samuel, Samuel. And he said, here I am. And ran to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, lie down again. So he went and lay down. The Lord called again, Samuel. Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call you, my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel again a third time, and he got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, And if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood there, calling as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. The word of the Lord. Here am I, Lord, here 
sacrifice and offerings, but an open ear. You do not ask for holocaust and victim. Instead, here am I. Here am I, Lord. Here am I, Lord. I come to do your will. In the scroll of the book it stands written that I should do your will. My God, I delight in your law, in the depth of my heart. Here am I, Lord, here am I, Lord, I come to do your will. Your justice I have proclaimed in the great assembly. My lips I have not sealed. You know it, O Lord. Here am I, Lord. Here am I, Lord. I come to do your will. Today's Gospel reading comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 43 to 51. Listen now for God's word to you and to me. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him about whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph, from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come, see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said of him, Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, where did you get to know me? Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered, do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. The word of the Lord. Philippe Petit, 
For those born after 1980, this name probably means nothing to you. But for those who were alive in the summer of 1974, you might remember Philippe Petit. You might remember him as the high wire walker who walked on a wire, strung not between two poles at the circus, but between two steel garters attached atop the World Trade Center buildings. With a group of strangers and friends serving as his accomplices, Philippe Petit managed to do the impossible. He snuck past countless layers of security in the darkness of night to secure a wire across a 200-foot expanse between the two towers. So as the sun rose on New York City in the morning, he could greet the morning commuters with a high wire act a quarter mile up in the air. For 45 minutes, Philippe Petit walked, jumped, sat, and even laid down on that wire, strung across the highest point in New York City. Before watching Man on a Wire, the documentary, the film documentary chronicling this feat, I assume Philippe Petit was an egotistical maniac who longed for attention or who had something to prove. But nothing could be further from the truth. Only a few minutes into the documentary, you realize that Philippe Petit has nothing to prove. He has already walked a wire atop Notre Dame in Paris and across the Sydney Harbor Bridge in Australia. He's no egomaniac. He's a nice guy, actually. He's simply a man with a singular focus, a man who knows, who believes what he was made, what he was put on earth to do. Stemming from the Latin word vocare, to call, the word vocation addresses the calling of God to all Christians, and some would say to all people, a calling to participate in the care of the world and the people God so loves. Christian philosopher Soren Kierkegaard went so far as to say that a saint was someone like this, someone who could, as he put it, will the one thing. Vocation is a theological concept, an idea that reinforces the belief that each of us has one thing one particular part, one unique part to play in the care of God's creation. This is why people of faith often seek their calling, their purpose, their vocation with such passion. We are taught to claim our unique God-given way of making the world a better place. And looking around our world this day, these days, it sure seems we could use a few more people who believe in this idea of vocation, in this idea that we are all better off when each of us pursues the passion or purpose God has placed on our hearts. The world needs more people who are called to will their one thing. So how do we do it? How do we will the one thing? In today's passage from the Gospel of John, a man named Nathaniel finds his calling. He finds his one thing. The story begins with Philip, Nathaniel's friend, being drawn into Jesus' universe 
We don't know how Philip was drawn in, but we do know that when Jesus asks him to follow, Philip says, yes, I will. Philip was captured by Jesus, and as a result, he found his purpose. And so Philip searches for his friend, Nathaniel, to try to convince him that he has found the chosen one, the Messiah, the one that Moses and all the prophets wrote so much about. Now, Nathaniel, he's skeptical. Nothing in the scriptures mentions the Messiah coming from a place called Nazareth. Nazareth was a little-known Galilean village, and Nathaniel, from a different Galilean village, the village of Cana, despises his small-town rival. For Nathaniel to suggest that the Messiah comes from Nazareth, of all places, is ridiculous. He has fallen prey to the general offense of the Incarnation, that God chooses to come to us through the lowly and the despised. But Philip, he's persistent, and he invites Nathaniel to come and see for himself. And so reluctantly, we are told, Nathaniel goes looking for Jesus. And in time, Nathaniel meets him, and he is transformed by their encounter. And this seems to confirm the formula, the prescription for finding our one thing today. We hear about Jesus, we seek Jesus out, we find Jesus, and then in him, we find our purpose, our one thing. This is the pattern often lifted up as the template, the formula for faithfulness. And this is understandable. This is what seems to happen to Nathaniel. But if we look closely at the story, we will notice that what transforms Nathaniel from curious to committed is not his actions or his choices, but rather the actions and the choices of Jesus. The French film, A Very Long Engagement, tells the story of Mathilde, a young woman from Brittany, crippled by polio. Mathilde falls in love with a young man named Manic. Manic goes off to fight in the First World War, but before he does, the couple seals their love and their promise to one another. Manic takes a knife and carves into the trunk of a large tree the capital letters M-M-M which stands for Manic Loves Mathilde. The middle M representing the French verb for love, spelled A-M-I-E, A-I-M-E, excuse me, but pronounced M. Manic repeatedly carves these three letters on trees and paints them on walls wherever he goes. It becomes his signature tune, his logo, the one thing he knows about himself and wants to tell the whole world. But things don't go well for Manic in the trenches of war. He's accused of injuring himself in order to avoid combat. As a result, he's court-martialed, and as punishment for his crime, in the middle of a battle, he is thrust up out of the trench and pushed into no man's land. That's the last anyone hears of him. His beloved Mathilde refuses to believe, though, that this is the end of his story. After the war, she hires a private investigator and searches high and low for news of him. 
She finds a letter from another soldier in the trench. The letter described Manic's final walk into no man's land and how he was last seen carving into a tree the letters M, M, M. She realizes that at the brink of his death, the one thing he knew about himself was his union with her. But she won't stop there. She continues her investigation, finding that Manic had received a pardon from the president of France, but that the pardon had been suppressed by his commanding officer. Eventually, Mathilde's all-consuming search does bear some fruit, and she discovers to her unbridled joy that Manic has survived the ordeal. He is still alive and is being cared for in a community of rehabilitation. But in the final scene of the heartbreaking film, Mathilde is reunited with her beloved fiance Manic, but Manic is a changed man. He doesn't know who Mathilde is. He doesn't remember anything about their love or about the trenches of war. He doesn't know who he is. The trouble, I think, with searching for our calling, for our one thing, for our purpose, the trouble with beginning that quest is it can often feel like a moving target. Life happens fast. Circumstances can change quickly. And what was possible yesterday can no longer be possible today. We don't always know what we should do. And we can't always see clearly the best path to take. Which is why I think we need to remember we are not the ones who see Jesus clearly. He's the one who sees us. If you read today's passage closely, you'll notice that it's not when Nathaniel sees Jesus that his heart turns and his eyes open. It's when Jesus sees him. Listen again. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said of him, Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, Where did you get to know me? Jesus answered, I saw you. I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael replies, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. What convinced Nathanael that Jesus was the Son of God, that he was worth dropping everything for, what gave Nathanael purpose was Jesus seeing him. Jesus saw him for who he really was, a skeptical guy sitting under a fig tree. Nathanael was seen by Jesus, and his eyes, we are told, were open. As a pastor, I'm often asked why not everyone who encounters Jesus chooses then to follow him. Why do some people turn their lives around completely after meeting Jesus or hearing about him, while others here meet him and just choose to walk away? It's a fair question, I think. If he is so amazing, so extraordinary, so loving, why wouldn't an encounter with him, even a small one, be enough? to change your life forever. Now, I don't have a definitive answer to this question, but I'm starting to wonder if one of the prerequisites 
to following Jesus, to being transformed by him, is allowing yourself to be seen by him. I mean, most of us, let's be honest, we don't mind looking for Jesus. We don't even mind finding him. But the idea that he would see us for who we really are, well, that's just a bit too much. We'd rather be the ones searching than the ones being found. Embracing our vulnerability and letting ourselves be seen is risky business. But I am convinced the only way we will ever find the courage and the passion to will our one thing, to to embrace our calling, to find our purpose, is to sit for a while in that gospel truth that says, we are loved as we are, sitting under that tree. When you are able to see yourself, I mean, really look in the mirror and see yourself as God sees you, as a beloved and beautiful child, fearfully and wonderfully made, when you can actually see that even for a moment, I believe you're set free. You are set free to will your one thing, to find your passion, to embrace your calling. And what's even more amazing is that within God's embrace, within God's love, your one thing can change. It can shift. It can be different tomorrow than it is today. That's the beauty of believing you are loved and claimed by God as you are right now. It removes any need you might have to prove yourself or to seek some kind of certainty. The only thing you need to know to will your one thing, whatever it might be, the only thing you have to know is that you are loved right now as you are. And the person who teaches us that and shows us and reminds us that we are loved by God is none other than Jesus himself. So I would encourage you, learn more about him. Follow him. Set aside some time to spend some time with him. Trust his teaching. Learn to walk in his ways. But don't do any of those things out of obligation or compulsion. Do all those things. Follow him out of a spirit of joy and thanksgiving, born from the knowledge that you are loved as you are. One last thing about Philippe Petit. Normally, typically, once he stepped out onto a new wire, he would carefully walk the wire to check for inconsistencies. Every wire was different, after all. Walking with focused intent, he would test the middle and both ends before embarking on his routine of sitting and jumping and dancing and lying down. That's what he typically did. But he didn't do that that day in New York City. After only a few seconds on that wire, a quarter mile up in the air, strung between the Twin Towers, after only a few seconds on that wire, a huge smile covered Philip's face. His dream had come true. He had willed his one thing. He was doing at that moment what he believed God had created him to do. And at that moment, for the first time in the documentary, you realize something. You realize that what made Philip anxious, what made him nervous, was not how he would do when he got on that wire. What consumed him was the fear 
that he might not ever get the chance to stand on it. He wasn't afraid of falling off. He was afraid of never getting on it in the first place. He was afraid of not being able to do the one thing he felt called to do, the one thing that unleashed in him and on the world unbridled joy. Amen.